When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode 252 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Houston. Today we have a bunch of incredible games popping off for this weekend, starting with the big time conference rivalry games on Friday. We've got Michigan against Rutgers, Virginia, Carolina, Navy, Loyola, and Maryland versus Ohio State all Friday night, all of them taking place after 6 o'clock, and I think it's the Maryland-Ohio State game is the nightcap at 8 o'clock on Friday. Those games are going to be incredible, and we'll talk about them. On Saturday, the solid in-conference matchups continue. The big one of the weekend and the first game we're going to talk about today, number one Duke versus number two Notre Dame in South Bend. Penn State hosts Hopkins, and we've got a bunch more, even some non-conference matchups that we'll talk about. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell if you're watching on YouTube so that you're notified when we put out more videos. If you're an audio listener or listening anywhere where they have podcasts, uh, all we ask, just share review, like, do whatever you can to spread the word. And then as always, you can go to laxfactor.com. You can get quotes on custom team gear. If you need custom team apparel, uh, you can get yourself just random t-shirts, podcast related t-shirts, non-podcast related t-shirts and swag and all of that crap. And as always, you can watch all of our videos and podcasts, everything we put up, we put up here. So if you're trying to figure out, Hey, what the hell is going on in lax factor land? If you're looking for the newest thing, go here and you can always just hit the podcast link at the top and you're going to always get a list of the audio full episodes as well as all the video links and everything like that. So I'm going to shut up now. First game, as I said, that I want to talk about is number one Duke against number two Notre Dame. That game is on Saturday. I believe it's a little bit later in the day on Saturday as well. I didn't talk about Duke and Virginia in last weekend's recap show, their Friday night game, because I'm an idiot. Uh, but if I did, what I would have said was the following. Kenny Brower is very, very good at playing close defense. He's very good at the sport of lacrosse. This has been apparent all season, but in Duke's matchup with Virginia last Friday, Brower played one of the best attackmen in the country in Connor Schellenberger to no goals. Now, Schellenberger did have three assists on the day. All three of them were in extra man opportunities, so they don't count against Brower. In one-on-one situations, Brower held Shelley to a big, fat goose egg. He held Levi Anderson of St. Joseph's to zero points the week prior, and Anderson only took two shots on the day. And, and Anderson's kind of a bully dodger. Brower bullied him into only two shots and no points. Brower is as good as any cover guy as there, in, as there is in the country. He's strong. He can cover ground. He literally didn't factor in the scorebook on Friday against Virginia outside of a one-minute penalty. He had no other stats. What he did in that game was much better. He stopped a first-team All-American from scoring any points every time that his number was called upon. So I, I'm loving what Kenny Brower is doing. I wanted to give him credit for his last two games. He's been playing well all season, though, but that's going to factor in this game against Notre Dame because they have 
you know, Pat Kavanaugh, one of the best attackmen in the country, another Tuartan uh, favorite. And uh, I think Brower is going to be able to do a good job against Kavanaugh, as some other guys have done here uh, lately. Now, how does that factor against Notre Dame? Here's my whole point. Brower will almost for sure be covering Pat Kavanaugh on Saturday, and Brower and the Duke defense are going to want revenge. Duke lost to Notre Dame twice a season ago by a combined three goals. Pat Kavanaugh had seven points, three goals, four helpers in their first meeting, five points off one goal and four helpers in their second. Brower is playing the best lacrosse of his career at the moment, which is saying something because he's had a pretty good career thus far. So the Blue Devils will hope that continues on Saturday against the Irish, and I do believe that it will. I think he's going to give Pat Kavanaugh a tough day. I'm not saying he's going to hold Pat Kavanaugh to X amount of points or anything like that, but I presume Kavanaugh's not going to put up seven points on him uh, and if he does that's going to be a problem for Duke if he doesn't it's going to be you know probably play well into the final score for Duke uh, for Notre Dame uh, they're the king of runs down 12 to 11 against Syracuse early in the fourth quarter this past weekend Notre Dame went on a monster run the run consisted of nine goals seven face-off wins and only one Liam Entman save it was the epitome of make it take it lacrosse the Irish had a seven goal run against Michigan nine goal run against Ohio State that's impressive these guys can get hot now the kicker is when you're playing against a team uh, that are just full of runs you're playing against a team that in their last outing did a great job at the face-off dot in the fourth quarter fourth quarter that's where you got to say enter Duke's Jake Naso the issue on Saturday for Notre Dame is going to be a dude named Jake Naso Naso's winning 62 percent of the of the face-offs he takes he's got four goals two assists to go with 92 ground balls runs are going to be hard for Notre Dame to come by because Naso is going to make it so overall in this game I'm saying I mean in terms of goalkeeping you know, you give the the slight edge to Notre Dame. Now, Entman could be much more than a slight edge. It's just his numbers are never all that high. Everybody's always hyped about Entman because, you know, when a game is on the line, he can do some bonkers shit. The problem just is with him, he's a little bit streaky too. He's not, you know, a guy that's going to put a consistent 65% up. He's going to put up a, a rough game mixed with a 70% game in a big one. Um, so that one, I still give, you know, the edge to Notre Dame because Entman is a, you know, he's played in these huge ACC match matchups a hell of a lot more than Helm has for Duke, who's a D3 transfer. So, and I think offensively, I think Duke is playing as well as anyone right now. Brennan O'Neill after last weekend's game is now my favorite uh, you know, I, I don't. I'm not. I think that the Tuartan's going to come down to who wins the national title. So long as one of the teams that has one of these Tuartan favorites on it wins, because I don't think any of them have jumped ahead so far to prove their dominance that it's going to be like a a uh, Pat Spencer year where they don't get past what the the quarterfinal round. I think they lost in the quarterfinal round, but he still gets the Tuartan because he just dominated everybody all year. It didn't matter. Um, I think it's going to come down to probably one of these teams winning that has the Tuart in favor, and that dude's going to win. But my point being, O'Neill and that Duke offense are playing so good. McAdory is such a nice compliment, you know, at X and up the right side to O'Neill, you know, being on the left, dodging into the middle. Uh, and then, and actually, you see Duke and Syracuse kind of do similar things where they've got Spelina out back dodging up the left side, and they have then their wing attackman, who's a lefty, dodging into the middle of the field. Um, I think the Duke offense is just playing too well between uh, O'Neill, McAdory, and Williams. I think they've got a little bit more quality in terms of their offensive depth. I think Notre Dame's got a slight edge defensively, but it hasn't been transpiring as much lately. 
Well, I say lately, they're still seven and one uh, here, so that's stupid. So let's take that back. Let's let's strike that one from the record. Um, in the end, my prediction: Duke by two to four goals. I think Notre Dame could absolutely win this game, but when you look at how good Duke's offense is playing, mixed with how well Jake Naso is playing in terms of winning those extra possessions, it's hard to bet against Duke in a case like this. Now, for Notre Dame to pull out the W, I think that Lynch has to be able to keep level with Naso or Notre Dame's going to have to force some turnovers either after a NASO win between the boxes, maybe between the boxes in the clearing game, something like, or in the riding game. So I think that, that Notre Dame could definitely even out the NASO effect, but I think is going to have a big effect. I think the Duke offense is absolutely rolling right now. So I'm picking Duke by two to four goals because I think what will happen is Notre Dame being the aggressive, insane offensive talents that they are, they're going to end up having to take some chances late, and I think that might give Duke a little bit of a sliver of a chance of just getting themselves a dagger goal or a little bit of momentum to kind of take a little bit of a lead that they can then hold to the end. So that is my prediction. Let's move on to the next game here. We're going to start with the ACC, then we're going to go really Big Ten heavy here. Number three, Virginia, against number nine, North Carolina. Connor Schellenberger, he's not going to have a lockdown defender beating him up, uh, and uh no one certainly, I mean, not that North Carolina doesn't have some capable defenders, but no one at, at the level of Brower, uh, you know, so I think that's going to play well for Schellenberger in this one. He should probably have a nice bounce back game is what I'm thinking. If we look at what Schellenberger has done over the last couple of games here, I mean, geez, in that loss to Notre Dame, that doesn't look too bad. It, the, the kicker with Schellenberger that I've noticed you get, he has one down game here. You know, he doesn't have a great outing against Maryland. Maryland put Zapatello on him. He struggled a little bit. He comes out and he's got Chris Fake and Notre Dame guarding him. He goes two of five on Notre Dame and then how quickly everybody forgets because Brower shut him down in the game that Duke won. You know what I mean? So I think Schellenberger is going to have a bounce back game after getting held back by Brower. That seems to be what ha what's happening. Maryland limited him a little bit and then he thrashed Notre Dame. Now he's getting chirped all week because Brower and Duke limited him. And I think that that's going to help. Now, in two meetings against UNC last season, Schellenberger produced a mixed bag. In their first meeting, a closer game that UVA won, Schellenberger put up seven points, four goals, three helpers. In their second meeting, an 11-4 Virginia win, Schellenberger only had two points, but he was scoring. The scoring overall in that game was fairly spread out amongst like the seven guys that put points up in that game, or it might even even only been six guys, and Schellenberger uh, uh, only goes one. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. And one, but Cormier went four and one, you know, so it was one of those things where it's a low scoring game. One dude had four and one. Schellenberger didn't have a whole lot to eat in that game. Now, I don't think Carolina is going to be as capable at quieting Schellenberger as Maryland, as Duke was. So I think he's going to probably chill in the area of four to five points on the day. Uh, I think that the edge goes to Virginia 
at the dot. Obviously, Andrew Tyre, he hasn't been bad for Carolina at times, but no question, P.D. LaSala, he's the man winning 59% of his draws on the year, 81 GB, six goals. If UNC is going to win this game, they're going to have to do a good job of mixing it up at the dot with P.D., turn a couple of his wins into turnovers, and then you've got a ball game in terms of uh, possessions. Edge goes to Carolina in cage. Nunes was very good against Maryland and Notre Dame leading into Virginia's loss to Duke, where he finished below 47% between the pipes. Not a terrible game against Duke, but not as well as he played in the two games prior. Krieg, he's been flipped on that. He's the reverse. He had back-to-back rough outings against Duke and Dartmouth, but he's been lights out in their last two games against High Point, 61% against Providence, who's not great, 69%. But he's seeing the ball. So Krieg's coming into this game with a, a, a two solid games under his belt, and he's, I think, definitely overall the better goalie anyway. So, you know, a little bit of an edge that goes to Carolina there. In the end, my prediction... Virginia by four to six goals. I like what Carolina's done so far this season, but the UVA offense has a marked advantage over a less deep UNC defensive group. Couple that with the fact that Virginia's loaded almost everywhere else as well, and I think that's a recipe for a Cavs win. I think the fact that Carolina has been here a million times and they've played in these big games, despite the fact their offense isn't as talented as UNC's or as Virginia's, their defense isn't as talented as Virginia. I think Virginia really in every group, in every area, of play has an edge over North Carolina. I don't think that edge is going to play out in the score that much. I think Carolina could hang, but I'm still saying four to six by the end of it. Slow burn to a reasonable margin of victory here in this one. Uh, Next one, we're going to talk about number five, Maryland versus number uh, 17, Ohio State. That is a Friday game. Just let me let you know the Virginia-Carolina game is also a Friday game. So Maryland-Ohio State, I think that's the nightcap On Friday, Maryland is coming off a loss to Michigan, who now earned themselves a number 16 ranking for that effort, and Ohio State uh, got embarrassed by Penn State on the road. Now, both teams badly need a win in this game to improve their NCAA tournament resume because at this point, the Big Ten is anyone's tournament. You don't know who's going to win it, so you're going to need to stack some quality wins here to uh, make yourself a contender. Ohio State's Skylar Walland. He's been in the 30% uh, range in three of their last four games. Ohio State was 1-2 and two in the three games that he was below 40%. For the Terps, Brian Ruppel has been far more consistent overall. He's been below 50% over his last two outings, but was above 50% the prior two. Ruppel is 3-1 and one over his last four games with the loss coming to uh, Michigan last week. Sorry, needed a little bit of a drink there. Uh, key for Ohio State here, Jack Myers needs to show up. Myers has been quiet compared to last season. He had 83 points over 16 games in 2022. That was 5.18 points per game. This season, he has 31 points over 10 games, just 3.1 points per game. In the preseason, all of my thoughts about how good I thought Ohio State Ohio State could be hinged on Myers having a near to Wharton finalist season, and he has not delivered at all at that level. Doesn't mean he won't drop six points on Maryland on Saturday. He's a very good lacrosse player and anyone can go off on any given day. But averages are what we have and his average points per game at the moment is much too average uh, if Ohio State wants to win the big. Uh, If Ohio State's going to have any chance of winning against the Terps, he's going to need to put up more than three points, obviously. He's been above three points only twice all season and he's going to draw either Maycar or Zapatello. 
that's going to be rough. Uh, and I'm not sure who they'll put on him. Uh, you know, what I, like Makar, sometimes they like Makar to be able to lay back in the cut, anchor the defense, be the first help, things like that. So I'm not sure who's going to draw him. I, I bet you he ends up with Zapatello on him. But either way, he's drawn one of the best cover guys in the country. And so that's going to be rough for Myers, Myers uh, as he's trying to finally, you know, break out here. Uh, the elephant in the room in this one is, as always, Luke Weirman. Uh, how will Ohio State's Matthew Fritz do against Luke Weirman? Weirman's only had two off games. He was 46% against Albany. That was a Maryland win. And 46% uh, against Michigan in a loss. Their only loss. Well, not their only loss, though. What am I talking about? But their most recent loss. Drew Blanchard was having a solid season for the Buckeyes. He hasn't played since 314. If we look over here, Blanchard was hanging at 63% in the games he played, but I don't know what his injury is. He looked like a guy that could have probably hung with uh, Weirman. Fritz, not so much as you see Fritz is sitting at 45% here. Uh, so I don't know what's going to happen. I think Brant, uh, Blanchard may be out for the season. I couldn't find any information about that. Assuming he's not uh, suiting up or he's not back to form yet, Weirman is almost certainly going to be a problem for Fritz and company at the faceoff dot. And that brings me to my prediction, Maryland, by three to five goals. I don't. I think Ohio State's good enough to hang even with a possession disparity. I think Maryland's proven that they're not really going to blow anybody out, especially quality teams, but they're going to play good enough to be in a game and maybe even to control that game. I think that Weirman is going to be a factor. I think Rupel is going to be a factor in Cage. He's been playing well also. So I think Maryland's going to take it, just not by a huge margin. Next one, and this is where we get really Big Ten heavy here. It is uh, Penn State against Johns Hopkins, number six Hopkins against number eight Penn State. Now, Hopkins was back, and then they weren't, and now they are certainly back again. But the same could be said for Penn State, just to a smaller degree. Hopkins, they started 2-0 and with wins over Jacksonville and Georgetown. Then they lose to UNC and Loyola. They drop to 2-2. Two and two. The Boo Birds come out. They beat Utah and St. Joseph's to get back to 4-2, and two, and then they lose to Virginia. They're 4-3 and three at that point. Maybe Hopkins wasn't back after all. The Jays are now winners of five straight games over some pretty solid competition. They beat Syracuse, Navy, Delaware, Michigan, and Rutgers over that stretch. That's a legit Hopkins is back win streak. Solid resume right there. Now, Penn State, they've proven to be the Ivy killer and wins over Yale, Penn, and Cornell uh, over a three-game stretch. They also have a win over Villanova, although they lost to Marquette. That's not great. And then they lost to Maryland in back-to-back weeks. Uh, before beating Ohio State at home last weekend. Let me get a drink again here. All this talking certainly makes me thirsty. Both of these teams have capable goalies, albeit both of them are streaky. Each team has a solid crew of, guy, uh, crew of guys handling their face-offs, each winning roughly 50% in the season. Both are playing a little bit better than expected defensively. Both are getting offensive production out of guys that we all knew were good, but at times they're playing much better than anyone expected. Uh, so I think both teams are pleasant surprises. That's easily uh, safe to say. Prediction, Hopkins by one or two goals. I think Hopkins may have drank a little bit of the Cinderella Kool-Aid here this year. They're a bit more battle-tested, I think, at the moment. They're on a roll. They're looking to be a little bit more healthy than they were over the middle part of that season where they were playing closer games and struggling a little bit more. I think guys like Brendan Grimes and Matt Collison playing well give them a little bit more depth offensively than Penn State has. So I think Hopkins is going to pull it out, but I think it should be a really good game. 
Man, I'm battling severe dry mouth right now. Uh, the next one we want to talk about, number 16, Michigan against number 12, Rutgers. That's another Friday game. The best part about the next couple of weeks in Big Ten play is every game in the Big Ten feels huge. We have Michigan and Rutgers doing battle. Uh, and once again, it feels like it's a, a must-win game for each of these teams. Certainly, Rutgers' overall record is better, but it's anyone's league right now in the, in the Big Ten. Dante Coolis and actually Rutgers is trying to play themselves out of making sure they are not in the basement of the Big Ten by themselves. Rutgers right now sitting at 0-2. So they lose this game. They're sitting at 0-3 in the basement of the Big Ten all by themselves. And once again, every Big Ten team makes the the, the Big Ten tournament. So it doesn't matter where you finish in the end. You're still going to make the tournament. Whoops. You're still going to make the tournament and have a shot at, uh, um, what do you, what would you call it? I'd lost my preview page here, so now we're just going to look at Rutgers. Eh, we'll go here. That's not the preview page either. All right, I'm going to shut up here. Okay, so moral of the story in this game, Dante Coolis and Ross Scott have to factor. In Rutgers' loss to Ohio State, Coolis was held to a single goal on four shots, and Scott was held scoreless completely, a victim of the now infamous Bobby Van Buren virus that's been going around. Same story in their loss to Hopkins. Coolis and Scott each had a goal. Off 12, 12 combined shots, not good enough. They're the Scarlet Knights' leading scorers. They have to actually do some scoring if Rutgers is going to be able to avoid being in that um, uh, Big Ten basement all by themselves. The other question becomes, what will Rutgers look like in cage? Kyle Mullen, he appear, appeared to be a really solid addition to this team in their roster in the preseason, but he's been streaky, and after a terrible 39% outing between the pipes and a Rutgers loss to Ohio State, he was benched in favor of Anthony Palma, who stopped 50% of his shots in that loss uh, last weekend to Hopkins. If Palma can provide a more steady hand in net, that's going to help Rutgers keep pace against Michigan. If he can't figure it out in that second start, there could be issues because Michigan's offense played really well uh, last week against uh, Maryland, a, a very good Maryland defense nonetheless, on the road. So uh, if, if they're rolling and they're hitting their stride at the right time and Palma can't play well in cage, you're going to have a problem. Now, I'm not pretending Michigan's been the picture of health and net either. Their issues are similar uh, to the point that Shane Carr has not been playing well. Now he's splitting time with Hunter Taylor. Both of them are streaky. You know, I think Carr had a couple of good games mixed with some real stinkers here. Uh, so both teams need some stability in net overall. And uh, whoever finds it in this game might end up being the winner. Uh, the face-off battle will be interesting to watch in this game overall. I think that uh, Dugenio, 59%, against Michigan's duo of Nick Rowlett and Justin Whitfield, Whitfield, Whitfeld, 56 and 64% respectively. Uh, Michigan, I think, has been a little bit better overall in terms of those numbers. And for once, you can't say it's because Michigan pl has played a crap schedule because they've uh, played, who, Maryland and Virginia over that stretch. So he's got P.D. LaSala and Luke Weirman uh, that both uh, Rowlett and Wetfield, Wetfeld, Wheatfeld, Whitefeld, whatever the hell his name is. Uh, so they've done battle with some dudes at the dot. And they got the better of Weirman last weekend, which was key in Michigan's win, was Weirman didn't run roughshod on them. They kind of flipped the script a little bit. They win the bulk of the draws. Michigan ends up winning that game over Maryland. Uh, so another another benefit, I think, to Michigan in this, in this one is Dugenio takes almost all of the draws for Rutgers. 
although Rutgers does have a couple of other guys that can mix it up a little bit. Uh, so even if Dugenio is getting the better of one of these two, which happened last week, I think it was Rowlett had the rougher game last week, and I think it was Whitfeld who played really well against Weirman. They can throw both guys at Dugenio, see who's playing better, continue to just not let him find a groove against one guy, and I think that plays a little bit into Michigan's hands. My prediction in the end, though, Rutgers by one goal, and I'm going to make a hot take here. That goal is going to come in overtime. I think Ross Scott and Dante Coolis are going to show up in this one. Michigan doesn't have the defense that the, uh, that some of these other teams they've played have had. They don't have the goaltending that a team like Maryland has on top of a really solid defense. So I think that you're going to see Dugenio, or Dugenio, Scott and Coolis are going to show up. And I think super hot take, either Scott or Coolis are going to score the game winner in overtime in this one. Next up, Princeton. And Syracuse. Now, this one's a must-win for both of these teams here. Syracuse is a game above 500 at six and five. Princeton sitting at four and four. Princeton, though, the ranked team at four and four uh, because they've got some slightly better wins than Syracuse. Syracuse's wins are a little bit suspect overall. But the kicker with Syracuse, they don't have any bad losses either. Uh, Syracuse offense, slight edge here. In terms of offensive efficiency from lacrossereference.com's uh, data, Cuse is fourth, Princeton is sixth. Both offenses have been very good with limited possessions because they both stink at taking faceoffs. I think Princeton's numbers are a little bit better than Syracuse's are, but not by much. Um, so their offenses have been efficient with limited possessions and all that crap. Uh, Princeton defense, definitely a slight edge to Princeton. Now, they both suck at taking draws, and considering that, they both managed to keep teams largely off the scoreboard. Uh, Syracuse ranks 14th in defense, defensive efficiency, and Princeton is 9th. Uh, and like I said, that's largely thanks so to each goalie. Uh, each team has a goalie that's playing well. Will Mark for Syracuse has had an All-American caliber season at 58% in terms of save percentage, starting every game for the Orange. And since taking over as a starter for Princeton, Michael Gianfricaro, he's been pretty solid. He's got 57% of the shots he's faced stopped. Both goalies see a lot of action and have stood tall for their teams thus far. Uh, despite Mark being the better goalie, I think Princeton's defense has more quality in terms of depth than Syracuse, has, who's been missing their top two defenders for the bulk of the season. Now, if Landon Clary is back in the lineup, the defensive matchups might become a wash, uh, especially if he's properly healed up. But if he's still out or not back to form yet, Princeton looks much better on paper defensively. Uh, prediction, though. Prediction. I'm going with Cuse by one or two goals. I think both teams' backs are against the wall. I think the ignorant youth factor for Syracuse, meaning sometimes the the the, the dumb young kids don't even realize they're not supposed to be this good. I think that we're going to see a little bit of that. I'm hoping to see a little bit of Cuse magic come into play here. I think that Cuse wins this game just so they can keep us Cuse faithful on the edge of our seats as we get into those final three games here against, who is it against? Virginia. Um, now I'm going to have to look here. Virginia, North Carolina, Virginia, and Duke here. So I think Cuse is going to pull it out. They make a win. Now, now make no mistake, I think Princeton should win this game. I'm just thinking they're not going to pull it out down in New Dirty Jersey and that uh, Cuse is going to get the win. Another one of my hot takes here today. Next game is Navy versus number 13 Loyola. This is the another, I think it's the third game on Friday that's being played. Navy's coming off two straight wins, one of them a big win that bumped Boston U from the uh, IL media poll. 
Uh, both beat Holy Cross in back-to-back weeks, and Navy t- Navy took them down thirteen to eight, and Loyola fifteen to eight. So if if the score against Holy Cross matters and the spread in that game matters, which it probably doesn't, slight edge to Loyola. Loyola they've got the better uh, goalkeeper in Luke Stout, but Navy's likely to win a lot more draws with Anthony uh, uh, Gobriel. I don't know how to pronounce that either. Who burked? Bo- who burked? who murked Boston U winning 67% on the day in Navy's upset win. I think that Navy uh, has the depth necessary on defense to keep Max Hewitt. Or no, I think that Loyola has the, I said Navy there, but I meant Loyola. I think Loyola has the depth necessary on defense to keep Max Hewitt from jacking them up as he did against Boston U and Holy Cross. I like Loyola in this game, but they have a young offense. Uh, They've got a lot of youth playing here. Navy's defense just limited Boston U, who has an attack group that's one of the most experienced in the country. Uh, So that could play out. We got youth uh, on offense against, uh, you know, a little bit more um, veteran depth on defense, let's say. Uh, I don't know that the quality is completely there. But still, Loyola's played well enough this season that I don't want to pick against them, not against Navy. Certainly, who's been you know pretty disappointing overall this season, other than that win right there against Boston U. So my prediction, Loyola in a close one, two to three goals or so, and that is all I have to say about that. What I will say here is I've been a big fan of Matthew Minicus, a freshman thus far. Very impressive player. Davis Lindsay has looked good. Um, so and, I, and they need to get a big game out of Evan James. I think if Evan, Evan James puts up three points in this one, uh, you're, you're going to see that Loyola will have won the game as well. Number 11. Villanova against number 19, Denver. Now, despite the fact Villanova looks like they're playing much better than Denver in terms of their records, you see 8-2 and two for Villanova, 4-4 four and four, uh, for Denver. Only a single game separates them in terms of conference play because if we come down here and we see, you know, Denver's 0-1, but Villanova's only 1-0, you know, and uh, why it's so weird that I end up losing my preview I don't like that. I'm bringing the preview back up, folks. We got to have the preview on the screen while I'm doing this. Uh, it's that stupid ad thing that that causes the browser to not behave as expected. Terry Foy, if any of you inside lacrosse are watching this, you're probably not. That is a really annoying feature of the website, at least for somebody like me. So get your ad money somewhere else. Uh, anyway, I'm going to shut the hell up here. So, yeah, it's anyone's it's anyone's conference still at this point. Yeah, Denver, they lost to Georgetown last weekend, and it wasn't all that close. But if Alex Dothakis can get back on track, he had a rough outing against Riley and Georgetown last weekend. Uh, I think that he can win the Pios a bunch of extra possess- possessions, and that's why I think this will end up being a ball game. I don't see Stathakis coming out and playing that poorly both weekends, uh, two weekends in a row, not to mention, yeah, Coppola is pretty good, though, man. It's not like Coppola's bad, so maybe, yeah, maybe they can limit Stathakis and that's going to play into uh, Villanova's favor. Either way, the question at Mark ends up being, what will Denver get out of their goaltenders? They haven't been very good in cage all year. Villanova can fill it up with guys like Matt Campbell, 28 and 21, running all over LSMs from the midfield. Campbell has been great this year. Patrick Daly, 32 and 3. Austin Frazier, 14 and 16. They've been solid compliments, and they help make sure that Daly... Uh, or that Campbell doesn't eat all the pressure, similar to kind of how Penn uh, and and the offensive compliments for Penn do a good job of keeping some of that pressure off of Sam Handley. My prediction in the end, Villanova by two to four by the end. Campbell, I think he's going to feast. He's been getting more and more comfortable lately. He put up five points against Monmouth. So what? Eight points against Navy, 
five points against Brown, eight points against St. John's. I don't think Denver has that much depth defensively that they're going to be able to limit him without opening things up for everybody else. And I think the Pios are bad enough in cage. They're not even really going to be able to limit him. I think that uh, I think he's going to have four points at least, if not more. And I think that Villanova is going to end up winning this one. And that's really it for my, 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 the games that I really prep for. A couple of other matchups that I think are important to watch this weekend is going to be Richmond and UMass. As we see down here, Conference matchup here. Yes, Richmond is 0-1 and only 5-4. UMass at 6-3 is 1-0 in the Atlantic 10 here. But once again, it's anyone's conference at this point. I don't think St. Bonaventure has any hopes. But if you look at what all these teams have done leading into the conference matchups, all of them are sitting in a similar region. I think that probably Richmond and St. Joseph's and UMass are the three I think that will rise to the top here overall. But in the end... I do like uh, I do like Richmond in this one. No, 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 no. I'm not going to say that. Oh, wait, here's the preview. God bless it. We're back to the preview. If we look at what's happening here, UMass has been better in cage. UMass has been better at the faceoff dot only slightly because they've got the drip king, Caleb Hammett, in uh, facing off for them. Uh, so that's key there. But in the end, yeah, I like UMass in this one. I like UMass on the road in this one because I think Note is playing really well in goal, as you see here. And uh, Richmond's, you know, kind of middling in that arena. So I think Note's going to end up being key here. Hopefully Caleb Hammett gets himself a goal. I, I, I said he was going to get a goal last weekend, and he did end up getting an, a, point, a point. It was an assist. Uh, so let's see if Hammett can get a goal against Richmond, but that's one to watch. That'll be important, and it'll kind of let us know what's going to how the next how interesting the next couple of weeks are going to be in the A10. Another big game here: Binghamton having a pretty damn good season so far. Vermont still, I think, the favorite overall to win the conference. But if we come down here and we look, we've got. Uh, Binghamton, Bryant, and Vermont all sitting at three and zero as we're now, you know, starting to get to, starting to get deeper into that America East Conference schedule. So Vermont has Binghamton, Bryant, and then you know these games here. Now I had said uh, in another podcast for Syracuse what we needed Syracuse to see was for Vermont to win out here because that would probably result in Vermont ending up being ranked. That would add another quality win to Syracuse's uh, schedule all that crap, but this is going to be a big game. And if we go back to the preview and then we kind of rip through here, definite edge Vermont in terms of face-offs. Although this D'Souza dude is thrashing people. I still like Tommy Burke. Uh, and I still think Tommy Burke's probably going to get the better of him, but I'm surprised to see how well this D'Souza's doing. Looks like Binghamton's going with a two-headed monster unless D'Souza got hurt. Let's make sure. Nope, he's been playing. So, yeah, so that might not be as, as favorable of a matchup for Vermont as I thought, but I'm still going with Tommy Burke in that one. In terms of Cage, Schaefer's played well overall for Vermont, but why do we have so many stats out of these other guys? Nope, Schaefer's still playing, so that's good as well. Yeah, I'm going to shut the hell up here. I, I haven't watched either of these teams play enough to really be able to talk uh, with any actual intelligence behind it. Vermont, I know, has got the better of Binghamton as of late because they've had better teams here, but that should be an interesting to one, interesting one to watch. It is right in my backyard. I could hit that game, and it might be interesting, but I believe Syracuse is playing at that time, uh, and I'm not hanging with that funky shit. Uh, Bryant and Albany, another battle here in the America East, and I wanted to cover this one just because as we've got Binghamton and Vermont playing each other, we've got Bryant playing Albany. I definitely like uh, Vermont or Bryant in this one, uh, so I think that Vermont probably, or Bryant, 
what the hell? Stroking out again. I think Brian ends up 4-0, and and which of the other teams there between Binghamton and um, Vermont are going to end up 4-0 and with them? And then, like I said, Vermont and Binghamton, I think both still have to play Bryant. Yep, Vermont and Binghamton still both have them on the slate. So this, this run, the next couple of weeks in the America East are going to be interesting to watch. Another one. That'll be decent. Harvard Cornell. I, I I absolutely think Cornell's going to win this game. I think CJ Kirst is going to put up a million points in this game overall. Just wanted to talk about it once again because his conference play heats up here. Upsets. Upsets are going to become key. Which Ivy League team is going to be able to upset Cornell? You know, Yale, Penn, one of those three. Uh, and then what's that? How's that going to play into the the other teams here? So I think Cornell's going to win in that one. And then uh, High Point Hobart once again, just because that's a, another conference matchup. As I said, as we come down into here, High Point and Hobart are only separated by a game at this point. I think they're the teams that are kind of on the outside looking in that still have a shot. I think that the Atlantic 10, uh, UMass, St. Joseph's, or Richmond, I think, are still the favorites overall, but these three uh, could do some damage. What, who has Richmond lost to? Has Richmond lost to any of them yet? Yeah, they lost to St. Joseph's, yeah. So, yeah, and then you see here, though, like a team like Richmond, they still have UMass, High Point, and Hobart all on the schedule. So the Atlantic 10 should be interesting as well and that's it i've been now rambling for 35 minutes straight i'm going to shut the hell up let you guys all get back to your lives uh as always you can go to i'll be back on sunday so i will actually get the show out on sunday i'm not going anywhere i'm not going to get hammered i got pretty banged up on saturday uh so if i'm being honest that's also part of the reason i probably would have done the podcast sunday morning the recap show if i wasn't as banged up as i was on saturday but the fact that i was feeling slight hangover had the brain fog, didn't watch the cross, didn't want to prep and put out a show even late on Sunday. So I will be back Sunday. Section 4 Lacks podcast. I'm going to probably not do YouTube. I'm going to go back to the Wednesday-Sunday schedule on YouTube for the regular podcast, and I'm going to do Section 4 Lacks between Twitter, Instagram, and everything like that. I'm not going to put stuff on uh, on the YouTube anymore. I just don't have enough information to be able to do a full-on podcast, albeit I got lots of highlights and enough to do a good job and you know just add to the level of, of – um, the level of uh, coverage that they get, but it's the, I don't have any data. I don't have any scorebooks. I don't know what happened. All I get, all I have is I know a couple of guys scored goals and what the score was each week. So it's like, it's hard for me to put together anything meaningful. So if I can't put together something meaningful, like I can for the division one, uh, I'm just going to do what I can to, to help and to make sure that some of those dudes get shine. So back to Wednesday, Sunday, uh, in terms of the YouTube and the podcast schedule, and then I'll just put random stuff out for Section 4 Lacks after that. So that's it. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell if you're on YouTube. And uh, if you're not on YouTube and you're watching or listening elsewhere, uh, just share the crap out of this with everybody. As always, you can go to laxfactor.com, watch all of our videos, make sure that you're staying up to date. If I miss a day, just go to laxfactor.com. If there's not something new that day, it means something happened to me. Maybe I'm sick, maybe I'm dead. Um, maybe I'm banged up and got a little bit crunk or something like that. Who knows? We don't know what's happening. So uh, you can go to laxfactor.com, support us that way. That's it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Come back Sunday and Hoost is out. The Lax Factor Podcast.